Our scripture this morning is from Isaiah 30, verses 20 through 22, and this is from the New Living Translation. So Isaiah 30, verses 20 through 22. Though the Lord gave you adversity for food and suffering for drink, he will still be with you to teach you. You will see your teacher with your own eyes. Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to go to the right or to the left. Then you will destroy all your silver idols and your precious gold images. You will throw them out like filthy rags, saying to them, good riddance. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word and we look forward to hearing what our pastor, Cliff Leeson, has to share with us this morning. Today our message is entitled, Led by the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to Acts chapter 8. There in Isaiah, it talks about God speaking to us, leading us to the right or to the left. And in Acts, it tells us about certain circumstances where God provided this specific working of God to lead people. Here we are in Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage. Now we're going to stop here of this part of the story. It goes on to tell about the way that Philip was able to share the story of Jesus with this, uh, this eunuch and how he ended up becoming a believer in Jesus. But what I want to notice right this morning in this part of the story is that Philip, first of all, in verse 26, was directed by an angel. So an angel came, said, go here, go there, do this. And he went. And then in verse 29, it says, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage. So he was getting directions from both an angel and then the Holy Spirit. He was led to the right place and at the right time to meet the right person. God knew the heart of this Ethiopian eunuch, this treasurer. And he knew who of his believers could be used to help this man with what he needed. So he knew both people, and he could put them together at the right time. Can that still happen in the modern era? Would we expect God to be able to do that? 
Well, in 1998, there was a Christian leader who was visiting different countries. He was on a mission to try to understand how it could be that Christians in some countries where there was lots of persecution against them could not only survive in their faith, but thrive in their faith. How does that work? And so he was visiting and interviewing people, talking to the people who had been through persecution. And he'd been to Russia and to other Eastern Bloc countries where communism uh, provided the persecution, shall we say. He'd been to communist China and other places. Well, he went to this certain country. It was a strict Muslim country, a rather large one. And there he had an interesting experience because there was this man who was 43 years old who had come from a rural area down to the city where the leader was. Somehow this, this man had heard that there was a leader who was interviewing Christians about their experiences. And he left, and it took him 29 hours to get to the city in order because he wanted to tell his story. He was in such a rural area that he had never been on a bus in his life. In fact, he had never traveled on a paved road in his life. But he came to the city, and he found the, the Christian leader, and he told he wanted to tell his story. Vermana, we'll call him, he lived uh, in this country, and he grew up a Muslim, of course. This was an almost all-Muslim country. He had never heard of Jesus. Not once had he ever heard of Jesus in, growing, in his growing up years. In fact, he had never met a Christian. And he had no idea what a Bible was. No idea. Never heard of it. In his 30s, he had married, he had a, a farm and a family. But everything was going wrong. His life was was getting into a ruined state. His marriage was having lots of trouble. His relationship with his children, his farm was falling apart. Everything was going bad. So he went to his imam, which is like the equivalent of a pastor in the Muslim community, uh, at the near nearby mosque. He went to this imam, and he told about his troubles, and he asked for help. And the imam said, well, I want you to take and do this. I want you to go and get a white chicken and offer up this white chicken as a sacrifice. And then for three days and three nights, I want you to fast and meditate. And at the end of the three days, on the third night, you will get your answer for help. And so this is what he did. He got the chicken, he made the sacrifice, he started fasting and meditating. And on the third night, he told how there was a voice without a body spoke to him. And this voice said, find Jesus, find the gospel. Well, he thought, what does this mean? Because he didn't know, he didn't have a clue what a Jesus was. Was a Jesus a tree? or a rock, or a piece of fruit? What was a Jesus? What was a gospel? He didn't know anything. How am I going to find this? Well, the voice told him to travel across over to the coast and go down the coast a ways to a certain city. 
a city where he had never been in his whole life. And he should get there at daybreak and he would see two men on the road. And he should ask these two men about how to find a certain street in the city. And gave the na- the, this voice told the name of the street. And then said, now find this certain number. And when you found that number, knock on the door and the person who's there will give you the answer for the help that you need. Well, Vermana assumed that if a voice speaks to you, you've got to obey this voice. And so he left his home. He didn't even tell his wife he was going or the rest of his family. He didn't tell anybody. He just went. And it turns out for two weeks they had no idea where he was. So he took off and went down to the coast and traveled down to the city and he got there at daybreak. And there were two men in the road and he asked them about the street and they gave him directions. And he found the street in that city and he went down looking for the number. He found the number on a certain building and he knocked at the door of the apartment where that number was and an older man answered the door. Now the older man said, can I help you? And Vermana said, well, I have come to find Jesus. I have come to find the gospel. The older man grabbed him and dragged him into the apartment and slammed the door shut. He said, what is it with you Muslim people? You think I'm going to fall for a trap like this? Do you think I'm a fool? Well, Vermont looked at him. Now, I didn't tell you. In this, in this nation, there were 24 million people, only three Christians in the whole country. She said, Vermont, do you think I'm a fool? Well, Vermont looked at him puzzled and said, I don't know whether you're a fool or not, sir, because I just met you. But I'll tell you why I'm here. And so he began to tell his story. And the Holy Spirit, you see, had led this young Muslim to one of the three believers. And the old man explained the gospel of Jesus to Ramana. And led him to accept Christ as his Savior. And he did. And for the next two weeks, he kept Ramana there to disciple him. And Ramana stayed just gladly to drink in as much as he could about what it means to know and to serve Jesus. And now, five years later, the Holy Spirit led Vermana to, dr- to, gum the, to walk the 29 hours to come to the city where this leader was to tell him about his story. And in those five years, as they were having interviews for three days, uh, those, in those five years of time as a Christian, this man had, had faced trials and tribulations because he was living in an almost completely Muslim country. And they were strict. But his faith had been growing, which is just what this leader needed so that he could go to other places and help other Christians know how their faith could grow when when persecution was coming. Now, 
If you've got your Bibles open to Acts, turn over to chapter 10. Notice verse 5. This is a story about Peter. We were studying this in our Sabbath school lesson a couple weeks ago. And uh, here we find in verse 5 of chapter 10, Peter was having a vision here, and the Lord is giving him instruction. He says, now send men to Joppa. And I'm sorry, this is uh, for Cornelius. He's receiving this instruction. Uh, send men to Joppa and send and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. So Simon is told to get Peter and bring him. And then we skip down to verse 19. And while Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, go down and go with them. Doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And then it tells about his interaction with the people who had come from Cornelius. So once again, God knew the heart of Cornelius, somebody who's searching, and he knew the heart of Peter, somebody who was willing to share, and he got them together through his guidance. Well, this same Christian leader that I told about in the previous story he was seeking to visit some other countries in Southeast Asia where, again, Christians were persecuted. And he was seeking interviews with different people in different places. And he was located over in Bangkok. Uh, he was kind of the center of his operation in this trip. And he got an email there from a European doctor who was on a border town in t between two countries where violence against Christians had, had been erupting. And this European doctor said, I heard about you, that you're in Bangkok, you're traveling, you're visiting, you're interviewing, and I just feel strongly that you need to come and visit me here in this place. Well, the leader had made arrangements to travel to several different places and he had bought t uh, airplane tickets to get from this place at this time and then this place at that time. It is a whole schedule. It was tightly scheduled. And the tickets were all bought. And so he responded to the email and said, I'm sorry, but uh, we, we just don't have time to get to your place, but we'll put you on the list for next year because we're coming back next year and then we can visit at your place. And so he went and visited one of the places he was at. And then he got a message that the next place on the list, there was a problem. The next place on the list was a problem. And let me see. I've got to remember which problem it was here. Um, there it was. He was going to visit 18 pastors in the next place and talk to them. All 18 pastors had been arrested. And they were put in jail. And the person contacting him said, you can still come and visit us, but you may end up staying a lot longer than you've expected. Well, he wasn't interested to go to jail. And so he thought, well, we'll have to change our plan. So he, he was ready to get to the next place on the list of, the, uh, of his plan. But before he did, he got another email from the European doctor who said, please, you need to come now to our place. Well, this was getting to be annoying, this persistence of the doctor, and he was a little less 
uh, gentle in his response. He said, no, I'm not coming this year. We're fully booked up and we can't come until next year. So please don't bother me. And he was, you know, confident of his plans that they had made. And so he was going to go to the next place on the list. Well, then he got another phone call, uh, a phone call this time. And it said that the next place on the list, the pastors were, there were some of the pastors were in an accident, a, tra uh, a traffic accident. And some, they, they had been injured and they couldn't be interviewed. And others had been in the hospital because they were sick. And then some others, the rest were under tight surveillance by the government. And so they weren't available. It wasn't a good time. And when he looked at his computer, guess what he found? Another email from the European doctor saying, I really believe that you ought to come now. And so he, the leader swallowed his pride and he sheepishly admitted that now he had some time that he could go to this place where the doctor was. So he flew to the capital of the country and then he took a smaller plane to go to one of the towns. And then he took a really tiny plane to get to this little village on the border with the dirt runway and all that. And he got out of the plane and he looked at the people assembled there. And it was obvious which one was the European doctor. And so he walked up and the European doctor had five men standing next to him, all in traditional Muslim dress. But he walked up to the doctor and, and they exchanged greetings. And then he said, and the, the leader said, and, and who, uh, Doc, who are these five uh, people with you? The doctor looked at him and said, you don't know them? And the leader said, well, no, I, I don't know them. I don't even know you. I've only met you 30 seconds ago. And he said, the doctor said, well, if you don't know them, and I don't know them. We've got a serious breach of security here. You know, because remember, there's violence going on and the Muslim thing and everything. And so, so the doctor looked at him and said, well, I, I've got to go. And here's my cell phone number. If everything goes well, give me a call and I'll get you back to the airport. And he walked away. And here was the leader standing there. And the five men looking at him. And he thought, well, first he started praying. He said, God, I need your help. <laughs> and then he thought, there's no way I'm going anyplace with these five Muslim men. And so he turned around. He started walking away from them, trying to figure out how is he going to get a flight out of there as quick as he could. Well, the five men walked right after him. And, and, and he was walking. <laughs> and finally, one of them said, Please, sir, stop. We're followers of Jesus. Well, when he heard that, he stopped. And he turned around. And this one who could speak broken English told a little bit of their story. And it rang true to the Christian leader. And so he went with them. And he followed them. And they went on into town. And they had rented this, this room, this apartment kind of thing. But it was all empty. There was no furniture in it. And they sat on the floor. And he sat on the floor, and they looked at each other, and they were smiling, and they didn't say a word. And he sat there, and he's wondering, well, now what? What am I doing here? What do they want? 
What do they expect of me? And so the only thing he knew to do is to start talking about how God had led in his life. And so he told the story about his own experience of becoming a follower in Christ and entering into ministry and then this latest project that he had of trying to find out about people who suffered under persecution but their faith was growing and how he could go and help other people learn about how to deal with that. And, uh, and the one man who knew some English, he was translating, you see, for the others who didn't really know any English. And when, when he came to that part, he said, so that's why I'm here. I, I'm, I'm going around trying to find out how, how people are dealing with their persecution. And then they all laughed. I thought, well, why are they laughing? And, and through the interpreter, they said, well, you think that's why you're here, but we're going to tell you why you're really here. And so, and so he, he uh, let's see, got to get caught up here. So he, he let them start telling their stories. And they sketched out their individual stories. Now, each one of them had had a dream or a vision about Jesus because they had never heard about Jesus. They had a dream or a vision about Jesus and about a Bible. And they were led to a Bible in some unusual way. And they had read their Bible through several times. And that's how they learned about Jesus. And they gave their lives into Christ's hands and became followers of Jesus. And each one had been rejected by their families when they became followers of Jesus. Not only rejected, but disowned and eventually had to flee their country and they came over the border into this town and then they found each other. They didn't know each other before, but when they came to the town, they found each other. And then they wondered, what are they going to do? Uh, how, how, could this, how are they going to live this new faith in Christ? And so they, they rented this third floor apartment thing and they started to meet. Now they met from midnight to 3 a.m. every night because they didn't want to be noticed by anybody because those were the circumstances, you know. It was a frightening time. And so they met and they read the Bible and they encouraged each other and they prayed. And this is what they prayed for. They prayed for someone to come and instruct them about how to be a Christian in a Muslim-controlled area. Now, they knew how to be Muslims in a Muslim-controlled area because they'd grown up that way. And they even knew how to be communists in a Muslim-controlled country because they saw that all around them. But they didn't know how to be a Christian in a Muslim-controlled country. They said, God, please send us someone who can tell us how we can be faithful to Christ under persecution. And they said, that's why you're here, to tell us. Go over to Acts chapter 1 now, please, before we continue the story. Acts chapter 1. And verses 4 through 6. And we find the words, uh, the instruction of Jesus here. 
Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 4. I guess it's verses 4 and 5. It says, Once he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but, ju- but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then jump down to verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. And then it mentions the names of all of them. Then verse 14. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So here are these men telling how God had led them and how they'd been praying for two months for God to send them someone who to help them. And then the leader, he felt chills going up and down his spine as they told the next part of the story. Because that very day, the day he arrived in that border town, at 1.30 in the morning when they were meeting together and praying, the Holy Spirit impressed told them to go to the airport that day and the first white man that they would see coming out of one of the airplanes would be the one God was sending them and he was the one and they said so that's why you're here you need to tell us how to be Christians in a Muslim country how to live out our faith under persecution but before you start There's one question we have for you. Where have you been for two months? And what have you been doing? He put his head down. He was embarrassed. But he confessed to them. He said, I guess I have been disobedient. Because I've tried my best not to come here at all. Would you please forgive me? And they did. And they had the best time for several days sharing together, learning from each other. Now one told in his specific story how he had been impressed to find a blue book. That would be God's word, the blue book. And he had gone from bookstore to bookstore looking for this blue book. Couldn't find it. And then he went to a Muslim bookstore that sold mostly just Qurans, all green-covered books. And as he looked in the bookstore and through the doorway, he saw down at the end there was some different colored book. And he went down, and here was the blue book. It was the Bible. And it was in his language. He bought the Bible in a Quranic bookstore. And he took it home and he read it through three times and became a follower of Jesus. Another had a dream about the Bible and how he needed to get a Bible. And a few days later, he was in this busy place, a marketplace crowded with people pushing up against each other. And one man came pushing through the crowd and handed him a book and then went right back through the crowd. He had never seen this man before, never saw him again. But he opened the book. It was the Bible. And he read it 
and he became a follower of Jesus. All five had similar stories of God leading them in miraculous ways to find his word and to become followers of Jesus. God is ready to lead. Am I ready to follow? Am I ready to follow? Do I want him to bring me to the right place at the right time for the right person with the right message, the right attitudes, the right motives in my heart? Wednesday morning of this week, I had plans to accomplish certain things that I've been waiting for. And then things come, got up in the way, and I couldn't do it. So I thought, well, I'll just go over to the church a couple hours early uh, to my office down in Concord Church and see what, what I can get done there. Well, I was there for a while, and then I had a, there was a knock at the door. I went over to the door. It was the man who poured the concrete right here of the Laconia Church, Kim. And he said, I came by this morning. I'm just impressed to come by. I saw your car, and I thought, I'm going to stop in and see you. And he had some burdens on his heart that he wanted to kind of unload and share, and he needed some encouragement. And we had such a good visit for about an hour and a half. And it was a blessing to him. And Wednesday afternoon, I had on my, my um, calendar to call Connie, Connie Zimmerman. Some of you know Connie. She's over at the Belknap Nursing Home now, and I stay in touch with her. And so I said, I'm going to call Connie because I want to go over and visit, find out what's a good time to visit. Sometimes if I have the time, I'll bring my paints and we paint together. We just started doing that because she's got... She hasn't been in the best health, and she's been kind of depressed about that. You can imagine how it would be. And she was an art teacher as a vocation, so I'm trying to get her to have something to live for. And uh, anyway, so, so I, tried, I, I tried calling her on Wednesday. No, I, I, was, I had her on my list to call. But every time I went to call her, something else came up. And I tried again. Something else came up, and I never called her all day Wednesday. So Thursday came, and uh, I was going to call her a little earlier. I didn't end up calling her till about 11 o'clock or something, 11.20 maybe. And I got her on the phone. And she says, oh, is this you, Cliff? I said, yes. She said, oh, could you help me? I just got off the phone bec with the person who's supposed to drive me to the foot doctor, and I've been waiting three months for my appointment and the person says they can't bring me, and it's at 12.20, and I don't have anybody to bring me to the foot doctor. And I said, well, I'm calling because I wanted to come visit you, so I, and the foot doctor is only three blocks from where she lives. And, but the staff, uh, are, they're short-staffed, and they can't do that for her now. And so she said, this is amazing. I just got off the phone with them, and you're calling with the answer. I just might be able to believe in your God maybe someday. <laughs> God's getting her closer. The last time I had talked with her, she says, you know, I've tried to believe it, and it's so good, but I just can't believe it. But now she said, well, maybe keep praying for Connie. God knows people's hearts. 
He knows what they need. I wonder who he has in mind to lead to you and to lead you to at the right time. He's able to do it. But you need to invite him to do it. He won't push it on you. But if you invite him, wow, wait and see what happens. Let's pray. Father, we see you as a wonderful God, a good God. You're right in all your ways. You're loving, oh, so loving. Because you see us. You see right into our hearts and what our heart needs are. And it's not just the lonely. It's not just the ones who've never heard of you. We who have even walked with you have heart needs. And you see what they are. And you know that part of our heart need is the need to share. The need to tell others of how good it is to know you and to have you working in our lives today and looking forward to eternity. So, Father, take us and use us and lead those people all around us that you know who are searching, who are longing for something better, we're just the kind of people that we can relate to well. And then lead us to share in ways that lift you up. We thank you for being so good to do that for us. We look forward to watching you work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's turn to our closing hymn. Let's see what number it is. Number 500, take time to be holy, number 500. Let's stand as we sing it together. Thank you. 
Our benediction is taken from Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.